I want to share with you one other thing before uh, we open God's Word here just a moment is that, you know, we've all been in prayer about the situation in the Ukraine and uh, uh, just the devastating things that continue to take place there. We've been very involved with missionaries when it comes to the refugees, and I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that we were able to secure Bibles for the Ukraine and send them to Latvia to a group of refugees there. And they sent us a picture of the exact Bibles that we sent. And uh, these are the ones that were sent. And then uh, Jim Rowan, our missions pastor, sent me a message that came from uh, Latvia. And this is what it says. This morning, we had the passion workout. We did four different exercises that represented parts of the Easter story. David from Ukraine shared scripture and commentary between each exercise. At the end, one of the girls, also a refugee, began asking questions and asking about the Bible. David stepped her through how to read the New Testament and where to begin with reading. She took home a New Testament that you, Central Baptist, helped to provide. Thank you. So, you know, we're, we've sent money for uh, pharmaceuticals and for supplies, but, you know, uh, we, we all need the gospel. And so we've been able to provide that as well. So thank you, Central, for your obedience in that area. Uh, today... Uh, I was going a complete different direction um, this week. Not, not a complete different direction, but I actually, um, you know, you study all week and God, you think you're hearing from the Lord on, on what you're <coughs> supposed to present. And the Word of God is inspired already, but sometimes He just says, Mark, I need you to go a different direction a little bit, and are you willing to do that? And I've learned in um, my many years of ministry to be obedient, even though I, I just heard the sermon for the first time at 8.30. So, it's, uh, uh, so I pray that God uses it to speak to you. It's a fresh word. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 2. And... Um, we are talking about the next line in the Apostles' Creed that says, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And uh, this is huge in our day. But I want to read Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. It's a familiar story for you. And uh, so just allow me to read it. And when he, it's referring to Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days. It was reported that he was at home. Now, I'm not going to stop all the way through the story, but Capernaum is actually not Jesus' hometown. He was from Nazareth. They, they said he was born in Bethlehem. They, he grew up in Nazareth. But Capernaum is where they based out of around the Sea of Galilee. Simon Peter lived there. Andrew lived there. And so that's where they're at. Verse 2. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. 
and he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not uh, near him, get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Incredible. Uh, let me just kind of reset the picture. You, you, I read it and so I don't want to challenge your thinking too much, but just imagine Jesus is now at the height of his ministry, it seems, people are gathering, he's healing people, he's preaching, he's teaching, and he's in the house of Simon Peter. And uh, some of you that have been to Israel with us know that you go to Capernaum, you can still find where uh, Peter's house was. It's like they had taken walls out and so that more people could be there. But uh, there were so many people there that nobody else could even get in to, uh, to what was taking place. And so these guys, four guys, four friends, had a, had a friend that was paralyzed. How, how much he was paralyzed, we don't know. Uh, was it just his legs? Was he quadriplegic? I, I don't know. It just says he was a paralytic. He could not, basically this, think of it this way. He was bound in such a way in his body that he could not move on his own, okay? So... These four guys bring him, they see the crowd, they can't go in, they can make their way up on the roof. The roof would have been um, probably wood and straw uh, kind of doing. They, they start taking it away. Uh, some of the debris is falling in there, and I'm sure Simon is thinking, I, I wonder what my deductible is to take care of this. And uh, so they're, they're digging it out and Jesus looks as this straw and the dirt is falling on him. And he, what I love is he, he says he saw their faith. Isn't that a beautiful line? That he saw their faith. He, he didn't just see the faith of the man that was coming through. He saw the, the faith of the four guys that were lowering him. I love that, that guys were willing to love a friend enough to believe in Jesus could, could set him free, that they were willing to dig the roof up. Isn't that incredible? So they come and, and uh, Jesus seen their faith as this man is lowered 
right there. He, he knows the need. This guy's bound up in his body. He cannot move freely. He's, an, he's enslaved to his own body. And then all of a sudden, he says uh, what it seems strange. He says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And then the religious leaders question him on that. And, uh, and then he, he says, so that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Get up, rise up, take your mat, and walk out of here. And that's what he does. And uh, so, but it seems strange that he said, uh, your sins are forgiven. Now, here's where the Lord really grabbed my heart this morning. And the, and the reason... The reason I think he grabbed my heart is so often when we preach and teach, there is a teaching moment in it, and it's, uh, it's a time for you to go and think about and then respond. I believe today God is wanting you re to respond today. And I, I, I don't, I, I don't want to miss this moment. But I believe that the paralytic, and this is what the Lord showed me as a parallel, many today will not be bound in their bodies, but they're going to be bound up by unconfessed sin in their life. They're bound up. They don't have the freedom to serve Christ. Jenny and Sam come up here and say, would you consider prayerfully serving in our kids' ministry? And there are some people that are saying, I can't do that. If they only knew what my life had been like, if they knew, they wouldn't want me with their kids uh, to, to do that. Let me tell you, we have a God that forgives sins. But yet today, my prayer is, is that the power of the Spirit of God will be so thick in this place that we will not hold off to put this off saying, I'll deal with this another day. No, we'll deal with it today. There was a professor at a college and he had an exercise for his classroom. He had them all bring a sack of potatoes and he said, I want you to take the potatoes one at a time and I want you to write on a potato a sin in your life that you just have struggled with and it's not been able to be dealt with and you write that on there. Also, if you have anybody that you have had a hard time forgiving. You're holding unconfessed sin towards them, uh, unforgiveness towards them. Write them on a potato and then stick it in a, in a bag. And so people, you know, the classroom go to the town. They would write a name on a potato. They would write a sin on a potato. They're sticking it in the bag. And this is what he says. I want you to take that bag and what I want you to do is I want you to carry it with you everywhere you go. When you go to the cafeteria, you take it with you. When you go to work, if you have a job, take it with you. Wherever you go to your other classes, take it with you. And so these students are taking around these bags with them. And uh, they would take it to, to certain places. And some of them would try to hide it because they didn't want others to know that they had that many potatoes in there. But weeks passed and these potatoes went from uh, green to overripe. And uh, the, the smell, the putrid of it got... 
and the teacher finally said, everybody, is today's the day to turn in your bags. Everybody was more than happy to turn in their bag. I want you to know that that's the way sin works. When we hang on to it and we let it, uh, we let it condemn us and we walk in guilt and shame, what happens is, is that becomes putrid in our life and we still carry it around and we don't let it go. And I've, I've thought about um, what unconfessed sin, and, and let me give it twofold, unconfessed sin in your life and w- not willing to forgive others. What that does in your life, I, I have some things that I've just written down. Number one, it becomes a weight to your soul. It just weighs you down. You become a slave to that sin. You become a slave to that addictive pattern and that stronghold in your life. You become a slave carrying somebody around that you're not willing to forgive. Number two is mental anguish. How much depression and mental health issues. Carol, you probably deal with this all the time in counseling. People just in mental anguish because of the guilt and shame and the depression that they walk into. Um, Calloused hearts, hearts that just become numb. Uh, Let me, most of you uh, men in this room, because we battle lust so hard in our our culture. Many of you will remember the first time you saw an inappropriate picture of a lady that there was a a conviction and a a nervousness uh, uh, that came. And then you saw now that there may be a callousness that you can just bypass it and it's, and it's not there. Or uh, you ladies, maybe you remember the first time you did something and it was a, a, a lie or whatever you may have done or a thought that was pattern that was there. It created a conviction initially, but now you fought it off. What happens is that our hearts get hardened to the sin that is there. And we say, oh, it must not be that bad because I don't feel the conviction anymore. No, what has happened is, is the calluses have built up on your heart. It's like a, 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 a trapeze artist. When that trapeze comes, it comes really close and they need to grab it at that point because if they don't grab it, it will not come as close the next time. And if they don't grab it the next time, it will not come as close the next time. What happens is, is we fight off that conviction of sin that comes into our life and we battle it off. And what happens is we don't repent anymore. We just, we just deal with it and say, oh, it's not a big deal. No, your heart has become callous. We live in a world today, in a nation today, that our heart has become callous. We don't have the ability to blush anymore. Another thing that sin does is it hinders your prayers. Your prayers are hindered, the Scripture says, because of unconfessed sin. Another thing, it stagnates your spiritual growth. How many people at one time in their life, they were uh, completely enamored with Jesus, in love with Jesus, and on fire for Jesus, but the, but the slow uh, buildup of sin, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a slow buildup. And what happens is, is it strangles your spiritual growth. And we don't deal with it. We just think, oh, maybe that was then. This is now. I'm older. I'm more responsible. No, what has happened is, is that we've let it strangle our spiritual growth. 
Another thing that happens with sin in our life that we do not deal with is I believe we walk out from under God's covering. Now, if you're a child of God, I want you to know that you are under His protection and your relationship is forever established. But I want you to know that if you choose to walk in the flesh and walk in unconfessed sin, that what's going to happen is you're going to walk out from under His covering and, and, and the fiery darts of the evil one just come more and more at that point. But I also believe that it just paralyzes you spiritually. It just paralyzes you. And you don't make the steps that you need to make to be right with God. But it, here's the ultimate. It affects two things in your fellowship. It affects your fellowship, first of all, with God. I didn't say it affects your relationship. If you have a relationship through God, through Jesus Christ with God, then what that does is that relationship is forever established, but your fellowship can be hindered. And the first thing that unconfessed sin does, sin in your life affects that fellowship with God. You remember Adam and Eve in the garden? They had sinned, and because they sinned, they decided to hide from God because they would go in these walks in the cool of the day is what Scripture says. And what happens is, is that God shows up at, for His daily walk with Adam and Eve, and they're not there. Now, He asks the question, where are you? Not because He did not know where they were. He's God. He knows everything. But He was asking the question this way. Why are you not where you're supposed to be? And so what happens is, is that when we have sin, we try to hide from God. He created us for His glory to be in an intimate relationship with Him. And so when we sin and we have unconfessed sin in our life, what happens is, is He's asking, why? And He's not asking, where are you? Because so often we say, where are you, God? Where are you? And he's saying, why are you not where you're supposed to be? I have provided everything you need. I have provided for your goodwill the life that you need. Where are you? Where are you? But so not only your relationship with God, but your relationship with other people. We let guilt and shame keep us from being close to other people. I've seen this in men. I was this way. For, for decades, you, you could be surface. We can talk about sports. We can talk about the weather. We can talk about fishing, golf. We can talk about all those things. But when the deep heart things, we do not get there because we do not want others to see what is truly inside of me. And what happens is, is it affects the fellowship with other people. So it affects the fellowship, it breaks fellowship with God, it breaks fellowship with men. So how do we deal with sin today? Eight billion people on this planet, they say we're approaching eight billion. I want you to know that eight billion people uh, ha have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of them. So how do people deal with, with sin? Because it's God's will that none perish, but all come to repentance. So how does everybody deal with this conviction of sin? We know the heart is deceitful. How do they deal with it? Number one thing, we try to hide it. 
We try to hide it. We think if others do not know what is going on in my life, it will not be exposed. I've discovered this. Everything that's in darkness eventually comes into the light. And we try to hide it. And we try to hide it from other people. Number two is we pray, play the blame game. Oh, I'm, I'm better than them. Or if I hadn't grown up in this environment, if I hadn't been a part of this, then this would not have happened. We play the blame game. You remember Adam and Eve in the garden. They had sinned. God comes and he asked Adam, have you sinned? Did you eat from the uh, tree that I've, uh, I told you not to eat from? And what does he respond? He responds by saying, that lady that you gave me, he blames Eve and then he blames God for giving him Eve. It's the blame game. So God goes to Eve and say, what do you have to say? And he says, that serpent. And so what happens is we start blaming and we start blaming and we start blaming. Oh, I'm this way. I'm entitled because look at what I've gone through. And we play this blame game. Uh, all along, guilt and shame is eating us up. Another way that we deal with sin in our culture is that we're, we don't want to deal with it. We, we're just sorry we got caught. We're sorry we got caught. We're not repentant of what really our heart, we don't want to take ownership that our heart is fully deceitful. We're just sorry that we got caught. All of you that have raised kids or had grandkids in this room know that you do not teach, you don't have to teach kids how to sin. That, that little nature's there and they, they have it. But how many times have you caught them doing the wrong thing and their heart is not really into it? They're just sorry they got caught. And so often we're the same way. We're just sorry we got caught in this. We're not broken before God, willing to deal with it. So we hide it, we blame, we're sorry we got caught, but the ultimate way to deal with it is through confession. Confession. Jesus said, uh, excuse me, John said in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is willing if we come in confession. You remember King David. King David who was supposed to be off at war with his army, chose to stay in the city of David. And he's walking around his palace. And if you were to go even to the city of David today, you can see where his palace was. He can look down on the whole city. And as he's out there walking around, he looks down there and there's a young lady taking a bath and he, he turns his glance into a gaze. And the next thing you know, he is, he is asking her to come to his room and he has inappropriate relations with her. Now her husband was one of David's mighty men, a great warrior by the name of Uriah. So what they do is David has Uriah come home, thinks if he goes home, he'll, he'll make love to his wife, and so that, that will uh, deal with that. But Uriah is not willing to do that. So ultimately, Uriah is part of the cover-up for David that David makes sure he's put at the front of the battle. He knows he's going to get killed. So blood is on David's hands. And this is the man after God's own heart. And David thought he had got away with it. He brought Bathsheba into his home. He didn't marry her. That child passed away, but they eventually had Solomon. He thought he had gotten away with it. But I think everybody knew it 
people were just scared to come to David. But the prophet Nathan, he had the guts to come and confront the king. And he said, you are the man. And what happened is, is the Spirit of God penetrated David's heart and has so fractured his heart that he couldn't help but confess and repent before a holy God. And we see in Psalm 53, go read Psalm 53. You want to read the, the confession of a heart that's broken? Read Psalm 53. Create in me a clean heart, God. Renew a right spirit in me. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Renew the joy of thy salvation and restore a right spirit in me. A broken and contrite heart, O Lord, you will not despise. And so uh, David is crying out with everything that's in him. You see, a confession as a definition is agreeing with God that that thought, attitude, or action is not of God. It's of your flesh. It's of that flesh nature that you've chosen to do. And so that is what confession is. But notice I said that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse. The forgiveness of God, I want you to hear this. The forgiveness of God is absolute and sure. You don't have to wonder, is it partial? Or is he going to put me on probation? Is he going to parole me and then he's just going to revoke my parole? No, God's forgiveness is true. What does he ask? That you come and agree that that sin, that action, that thought, that, that uh, attitude is not of God. It's not a head thing. To me, it's a broken heart thing. We see our sin as it has separated us from God. And it separates, even though you're in a relationship with Him, it distorts that fellowship. And so God is one that His forgiveness is genuine and is real. It's not conditional. It's unconditional the way He pours out His forgiveness. Now, I'm wrapping this up. On February the 3rd, 1970, in Asbury, Kentucky, at a school called Asbury College, it's now called Asbury University, non-denominational Christian college, they had, uh, they had chapels, daily chapels that the students were required to go to. I, I went to Baylor and they required it. Uh, and, and some of you have gone to other Christian schools. Chapels required. I, I can tell you that most college chapels, you're just enduring. And so the guy that was supposed to speak that day so decided to change it up. Instead of him getting up there and preaching, at a time of worship, and then they had open time for testimonies. And the testimonies were, were starting to happen when a young man came up and he was well-respected in, in Asbury University. And he came to that mic and he began to share of unconfessed sin in his life. He began to confess what was going on in his life. He wasn't airing dirty laundry. You know, there's a difference in that. But he just, his heart was so heavy before God. He knew he needed to get right with God so he confesses it. 
for the next eight days and eight nights, student after student, that it didn't stop. Some might go eat and come back. They wanted to get back because people were getting right with God. That revival at Asbury spread out to other college campuses and took place. You see, in the 1970s, we lived at one of the, one of the darkest times in our country, it seems like. Uh, racism continued to be bad. We, we had Vietnam conflict going on. We had uh, uh, you know, Woodstock and the free love movement that was there. Um, and, and we had happened to walk on the moon in 1969. So there was a positive thing there. But what happened is, is that in the midst of this chaotic darkness, one young man led to multiples being willing to say, I need to get right with God. I need to get right with God. I need to get right with God. Confession and forgiveness have been the benchmark of every great awakening that has ever happened. I shared this at the end of the service previously, and I, I just feel convicted to share it now, is that it's been said that America will do without revival because it is content to live without revival. Because you see, if we're going to have revival in the nation, it's going to begin with the household of God getting right with God. We can't expect the government to do it. We need to deal with unconfessed sin in our life. There was a, a, a priest in the Philippines and he was struggling in his ministry. But God had given them that ministry. And all of his struggle went back because he had done something in seminary that was a sin area in his life. He thought he had dealt with it, but he was still carrying around the sack of potatoes, so to speak. He knew there was a lady in town who had a very discerning, intimate walk with the Lord. And so he went to her and he says, I know you have a very close walk with the Lord. What I want you to do is next time you're really in the presence of the Lord, I want, to ask, I want you to ask Him about the sin that I did in, when I was in seminary. And so a week passes and he finally comes back to her and he says, did you... Did you ask the Lord about, uh, about when I was in seminary about sinning? She said, yes, I did. And uh, what did he say? He said, he said I, re I remember in seminary that uh, there was something. And he said, well, did you ask him what the sin was? He said, I did ask him what the sin was. And what did he say? He said, I forgot. You know, some of you are carrying around your sack of potatoes today. Maybe you had an abortion. Maybe you committed adultery. Maybe it was fornication. You, your pornography has just got you. And somebody's going to say, well, Mark, I've, I've asked forgiveness a hundred times. It's, today is one-on-one. Because... When it says He forgives, it says He also cleanses. And cleanses means He's restoring. He restores. 
The scripture says in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No, no condemnation.